Alrighty, folks. Uh, it's good to have this gentleman back with us uh, this time of the year. Kind of the we're getting there if we're not already into the dog days of the summer, but that's all right. Blake uh, joining us here plenty of times on the podcast, and also he's a you know for longtime listeners of Ferg and my radio show, you'll know him. Uh, he's a returning guest, as I mentioned on the podcast. Blake Level covers the SEC, doing so for the Southeastern 14. He's an assistant editor for Blue Ribbon Yearbook. Let's go very broad here. I, you can take this in any direction you want to go. What thing are you most excited about as we begin to turn our attention to the upcoming basketball season? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, kind of always being intrigued by by what you're going to see with, you know, new players, new coaches. And I think that combination will be kind of the main theme um, going into 22-23. And, of course, this season's a bit, a bit different than we've seen in a while in the SEC, I guess, just because of the, the number of coaching changes that took place. Um, you know, having six, I don't say six new faces, because obviously Mike White is, is not coming from, from Florida to Georgia, but having six teams with, with a new head coach, I think that is something that, you know, we certainly haven't seen in a while. You know, now I think it's a matter of, all right, it's going to be year one. We know how quickly sometimes you can flip sort of where the program is at just based on transfers and recruiting. Um, it's not like it used to be, you know, it doesn't, it's not going to necessarily take three or four years uh, for you to go in and completely re, you know, vamp an entire program and, and kind of get it back on track. It can happen really quickly now. I think that's going to be, you know, probably the, the biggest thing to me is just seeing how a lot of these coaches and, and new spots fare um, because I thought it was a very interesting coaching hiring cycle in the SEC, uh, whereas, you know, maybe the previous ones we had seen at times and some of those um, people would go out and get, you know, some really top – I guess power conference coaches, but now you saw a lot of mid-major coaches come in and try to, you know, you know, make that jump to the SEC. And how's that going to work, you know, for some of these guys like Matt McMahon, like Dennis Gates, and all these others, uh, Todd Golden. And so I think that's going to be a lot of fun to see. And then, you know, for the top teams that we right now expect to be the top teams, I think it's just a matter of, you know, they're going to bring in a lot of good talent. It's just how does the chemistry come together? And that's much more important now. Uh, not that it hasn't always been, but it's just you're seeing so many new players coming in and, and teams just kind of completely overhaul their roster now. Um, I think that's always a question mark. It can look great on paper, uh, but you never know what the chemistry is going to look like. And so that's probably the other big question. And so I think those are definitely two of the biggest themes, probably uh, at least at this point uh, in the summer. All right, you mentioned some of those coaches, what it is they're trying to accomplish with the roster turnover. We'll get there with some specific examples later. Which coach is easiest to like right now in the league? Oh, boy. Um, of the new coaches or just of everyone? Any of the 14 coaches. It may be harder to answer with some of the newer ones, but yeah. nonetheless, in any of the 14, which coach is easiest to like? I think there's a lot of guys that are that are easy to like based on probably the success they brought to to where they are um you know I mean we've always said I, I think guys like Bruce Pearl and um you know guys like that who, and Eric Musselman I think are they're very outgoing from a personality standpoint and I think that always kind of puts those guys sort of front and center in terms of looking at what they can accomplish um you know and I think that's you know again it's a lot of it for people is going to depend on what team you support and those kind of things but I think those are probably two guys just because they they are kind of ones that have embraced kind of where things are headed in college basketball so I think just seeing them embrace that we know must what he's done from a transfer standpoint he was kind of one of those initial guys that really jumped on board and um you know and was able to really push things forward 
for his program year after year with that. So I think it's easy to like how he's adapted to that. You know, but but again, a lot of these new guys, I think too, when you see them coming in, um, a lot of these guys are, are very easy to like. Like I've said, I mean, Dennis Gates is kind of—I don't want to say he's Bruce Pearl or Eric Musselman, but he's a very sort of you know outgoing guy, very charismatic. Um, and, and you know, can he have that type of success at Missouri? Can he get them on track? So I think he's very easy to like. I mean, I—I've always said I think Mike White's one of the more you know easy to like guys in the league, just because. Um, you know, where he was at at Florida with all the pressure and everything, I don't think sometimes he got maybe the, the credit he deserved at times, knowing the situation he stepped into and knowing what he had to follow with Billy Donovan. Um, I think this move to George is actually going to work out really well for both parties. Um, so I think, you know, Mike White's always been someone I looked at there. But but again, anyone I haven't mentioned, that's not to say that they're they're not easy to like. It's just you can go up and down the board here and just kind of pick out, you know, those things about some of these coaches and you can see kind of what they've been able to, I mean, look at what Buzz Williams has done at Texas A&M. Look at the run they made last year. And, um, you know, when they feel like they were snubbed from the NCAA tournament, they should have been in. Uh, so there's a lot of guys I think that are, that are easy to like in this league. Uh, and, and it's just a matter of always knowing that sometimes that will not be the focus just because I always say someone's got to finish one through 14. And, uh, when you're the teams that are finishing, you know, seven or lower, sometimes, uh, that's not exactly, uh, kind of bode well in terms of fan reaction to you, uh, just because, you know, everyone wants to win. And, and unfortunately in this league now, uh, that's just not, not a possibility, uh, in terms of everyone and kind of what you're going up against, uh, from a competition standpoint. Okay. Who's the coach who most annoys his peers? Um, again, I don't know if it's Cal just because, you know, he is at Kentucky and, but I don't think he annoys probably his peers. That's a great question. What, what would you, what would be your first response to that? If you were just put on the spot and had to answer that question, I'm turning it back on you for this one. I wonder if Bruce is in that category. I wonder if Cal is in that category in part, probably. like you say, because you have so many resources at Kentucky. It's hard not to be envious. I think it's the guys who win often. Maybe that's that's the, like, always gonna yeah. yeah you'll put a target on yourself that way and those two definitely uh, qualify for that so I, I think I'm that's also thinking personality too because like some guys have more grading personalities than others I'm trying to think of like because I think it'll take us a while probably to see how these new guys because look I mean as someone who's covered a lot of mid major teams over the years too just outside of the SEC there's a lot of these guys coming in I think that have you know really good personalities but it's like you also and we've we've talked about this before when guys make that jump like you have to kind of change sometimes a little bit how you approach things and I do wonder you know are there going to be any of these new guys who come in and maybe uh, from a personality standpoint they decide to hey I'm going to flip this up a notch because I know I've got to go up against you know Cal and Bruce Pearl and all these guys I've got to really be out there and does that rub some people the wrong way I think that's a that's an interesting one too to think about so yeah, Oates hasn't been afraid to take a couple of shots in press conferences, although to be fair, I guess that may just be his personality because he certainly went after his players at times, challenging them in different ways. But he's made some cross statements about different coaches at times. Uh, I probably am just hypersensitive to this one, but like Musselman did the, leaned into the whole like they danced on our logo, they disrespected our logo thing. So that's just one I like – I'm curious to see as Musselman, you know, sticks around the league more, and he's obviously I mean, the, the back-to-back lead eight appearances makes me think they're going to continue to rack up wins, which, as we said at the beginning of this question, like is always going to make you less likable in some ways. Uh, yeah, I'm curious if he kind of leans into it, or if 
or if they'll just, you know, whatever. Like, that may just be something that I thought was silly because I, Auburn just danced on logos regardless of whose it was. Nonetheless, fill in the blank, finish the sentence for me, all right? This coach leads a program that is a contender but also uh, has restless fans and, more importantly, a restless administration. So the fill in the blank, finish the sentence is, this coach leads a program that is a contender but also has restless fans and more importantly, a restless administration. I think there's a couple different options maybe on this. Um, I mean, it's probably either Kentucky or Tennessee. I think it's either Rick Barnes or John Calipari probably are the the answers to that just because of their lack of success in the NCAA tournament in recent years. I'm not sure if there's one or the other you have are leaning towards, but I think it's it's got to be one of those two. They both won regular season titles. They both had 31 seasons uh, in recent years, but that long-term NCAA tournament success of getting to a Final Four when you feel like you've had some of your better teams there just has not come to fruition. And so I think uh, those would both probably qualify for that. For the next five years, the coach you want leading your program is? I mean, I I think it's Bruce Pearl or Eric Musselman. I, I think I would go with with either one of those and feel pretty happy. But I know I'm, I know I'm picking multiple answers here. I, you you know me. I'm gonna gonna always kind of uh, try to <laughs> straddle the line here sometimes. But I'd have a hard time picking between those two. But I think it's it's Bruce Pearl or Eric Musselman because I think those two are the most equipped to handle the changing landscape of college basketball right now. I think that we've seen them have success with it uh, and like I said I mean you mentioned you know Mus maybe he's just he's going to keep winning and I think we've seen what he's been I mean look at the class they have coming in next season um look at what he's done with the transfers I just think they're going to keep winning and I think it's kind of the same case for Bruce Pearl at Auburn I think they're just going to keep winning games and I think so right now if I had to pick from the entire group yeah I think it's it's one or the other um you know I I maybe put Pearl a little bit ahead of, of Musk, but I think it's it's neck and neck. This program is underachieving and things are about to get better or get worse. You obviously pick the program and therefore you pick the trajectory you think that they are on. This program is underachieving and things are about to get better or worse. Yeah, I'll go Missouri. I think um you know, I think Missouri's kind of been a sleeping giant that not a lot of people will necessarily admit that this could wind up being, you know, one of the best programs in the league year in and year out just because of the commitment to basketball and the understanding of how much, you know, how important it is to to bas- to fans at Missouri. And I think there's a, a growing sentiment. And I've, you know, for anyone who's listened to me on anything I've talked about over the past two months now, Everyone knows, and everybody makes the joke that I'm Dennis Gates's agent. I'm, I'm not. I can confirm that I am not his agent. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm not getting a check, at least, Painter. If I am, I'd like to really know where this money's coming from from this big signing bonus he probably had at Missouri. But I, I think Dennis Gates is a star. I think he's one of the next big things in coaching. That's not just me saying that. That's all talking to a lot of coaches that are well respected around the country. You know, for the stuff we do for Blue Ribbon and everything. That's been the. The, the theme, the thought over the past several years, and when I talked to him, you know, I covered the Horizon League for a couple of years for Blue Ribbon and talking to him and seeing what he did at Cleveland State. I mean, he took over a program, and when we say a program that had nothing, they had nothing. Their entire team had transferred, and he took the job in early, I think it was late July, didn't get started until early August, 
think about that. Um, you're starting the season basically two months out. And in two seasons, you know, he turned them into the Horizon League champions. And I just think that he has everything you need to turn Missouri back into the program the fans want it to be. It won't be easy because you're playing in this this SEC, which, as we said, there's just so many different, you know, possible pitfalls now with, with the coaching and just all the programs that have kind of taken the spots at the top. Um, and I think, though, He's someone to me that, though so far, you know, whatever, two months into him having the job or whatever it's been, he's put together a roster. He's showing he can kind of embrace the, the transfer part of it. Um, and I think Missouri is, is headed in the right direction. I think they have certainly not been where they wanted to be. All those expectations were high whenever the Porters came there, but they just could not match that. Of course, they had the injury, uh, bad injury luck there with those guys too, but I think Missouri's on the way up, and uh, I think Dennis Gates uh, is going to be a big part of that. So there were six new hires in the SEC. Of the newest hires, and I think you may have just given me your answer, who landed a job with the most upside? Well, I guess the one with the most upside to me would be Todd Golden at Florida. But I think Dennis Gates, as I said, is, is probably right there, too. Because I think at Florida, look, they're not going to have any shortage of possibilities in terms of whether it's NIL stuff. Um, Florida's still a very attractive job. And like I said, I think if you're Mike White, to me, it's one of those situations where if you flip Mike White and Todd Golden, if that makes sense, because you you never want to be the guy that follows the guy, right? And that's what Mike White had to be at Florida. He had to be the guy that followed the guy who won back-to-back national championships. And you're just, unless you can do that, you're not going to be able to win. And I don't mean just win games, but you're not going to be able to win over the fan base because everyone's going to always think, boy, remember when we had that guy? Um, Or he's not him. And I think now for Todd Golden, this is not to knock Mike White, but now you're kind of removed from that where it's like, okay, well, if he can get Florida consistently to the Sweet 16, he 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 doesn't have to win back-to-back national championships. Todd Golan, he doesn't have that pressure on him because that pressure was on Mike White. And so I think Florida's the one with the most upside just because, again, I think it's it's been the most successful program of this kind of tier that we're talking about here. And so I think that's the highest upside. But like I mentioned, I do think Missouri um, is right there too. Uh, pretty close, not exactly maybe to that level, but I think it's it's pretty close. Conversely, of those six schools, who has it hardest? I think it's easily Lamont Paris at South Carolina. Um, I just, I've always said, and you know, it's not to to knock anyone, but I've always said I don't think that South Carolina job is as good as people think sometimes. And um, I think probably the South Carolina job and the the two Mississippi jobs are probably the toughest in the league. Uh, And I don't want to say, well, maybe it's the best way. I just don't know. I think it's harder to recruit to and the appeal is not as much as again some of these programs that we've talked to and there are various reasons for that whether it's um, you know commitment resources those kind of things Um, so I think Lamont Paris probably has a tough time at South Carolina and that's not to say I actually think it's a good hire but I just think he has the toughest task at least initially I don't think there's any doubt I think they're the team that's as of right now, you're probably going to peg at the bottom. Um, you know, I think it, it's debatable. I, I think Mississippi State's maybe going to be in there just depending on what the roster looks like. But I just think Lamont Paris, because here's here's the thing too, right, is thanks with Frank Martin, sure, they didn't, they didn't perform up to expectations towards the end of his run, but 
he still made a Final Four, and whether you want to call it random or just you know the luck of the tournament or whatever, he still got them to a Final Four, and I think that's something where you know are the expectations for South Carolina to get to a Final Four? I just don't think so right now. But like I mentioned earlier, I think we always have to keep in mind, no matter who we're talking about, you can flip a program so quickly now uh, to where if Lamont Paris can kind of you know put things together and be able to to build a roster that's competitive, he can get them back to the tournament. Uh, but regularly getting them there. And just staying out of that that bottom tier in the SEC, I think that's going to be the hardest aspect uh, for South Carolina versus maybe some of the others. I would tend to agree with a lot of your answers. Florida is a very appealing job in terms of its resources. Obviously, very recently, they've won multiple national titles. Uh, there's plenty of talent in that state. Uh, South Carolina, I mean, maybe Vanderbilt has it harder just by nature of the kind of school Vanderbilt is and where it places its priorities. But South Carolina might be one of the most forgettable programs in many ways. Uh, you know, thank goodness, I think, for them and that final four run that gave them a little bit of life. Final fill in the blank, this fan base is the most insane. <laughs> oh, boy. Because um... I think you could go Kentucky, Arkansas, and Auburn may have inserted itself into the mixture. Um you know, any of those three, especially this season, I would have taken as a good answer. Yeah. But I don't I, know what you think about their full body of work over not just because it's easier for Auburn to be annoying and hyper online now because they're doing some winning. <laughs> like Arkansas is hyper online regardless, and Kentucky just has a very strange, you know, group of fans because they do a lot of winning. And so people latch onto that. I think, I think I would say Kentucky and Arkansas. I think it's because, and look, I, I think there's, there's good to that. Um, just with every fan base, you are going to have the ones that are on the extreme. But I, I think in terms of long-term insanity, uh, I think Kentucky and Arkansas probably are at the top of that. Um, just because, you know, look, and that's that's kind of what we said about Arkansas. It just kind of takes the conversation in a different direction. But, you know, all those years where everybody talked about Arkansas, right? You know, we talked about back-to-back national championships of Florida. Remember what Arkansas did in the mid-'90s and just the success they've had there over the years. I mean, this is a – this is a program that's wanted to be just like Kentucky, you know, and, and we know that's hard to do, but like for a long time, these were the two programs that were kind of carrying the banner in the SEC. And um, now it's, you know, now you're kind of getting back to that. It seems to where Arkansas is kind of making their move. Kentucky's still up there. Uh, so I just think maybe, you know, again, there, there's going to be an insane uh, fans, I think with, with every group, but if we're talking about just pure passion and, sometimes unfiltered passion. I think you're you're probably putting Kentucky and Arkansas at the top, and um, like you said, but there's other programs like Auburn that certainly made a jump on that in recent years, um, you know, and others as well. So, uh, But I think those two are, are right there at the top in terms of just they, they love it, and boy, do we know they love it. So, <laughs> they uh, Yes, they're vocal about it, and in many ways I appreciate them for posting always. As I mentioned, we get a bit more specific, so let's do that. What is your read on Nate Oates's program? And I've, I did these in alphabetical order mostly. I don't know why, but anyway, that's if you're wondering about the order of these questions now, that is why. What is your read on Nate Oates's program, Blake? Yeah, I mean, I think Alabama is is going to kind of be once again. I mean, I think your expectations for Alabama are, are kind of just to be a top five team in the SEC. And as we know, if you were top five in the SEC a decade ago, maybe you weren't that great because it didn't take a lot at times but now to be in that top five or at least to feel like you should be in there 
year in and year out, I mean, that's a good place to be. Um, they're not going to go out and win the, the regular season title and tournament title like they did, you know, recently every single year. But just to be in that mix and have a chance to be there, I think that's that's where they'll be, uh, you know, moving forward. I know last season was a little bit of a disappointment for sure in terms of the inconsistency. But, um, you know, they're going to get some good players back. And I know they're, you know, losing Shackelford and those kind of things. But bringing Mark Sears from Ohio, I think, is going to be big for them. They've got Welch, of course, from St. Bonaventure. Um, and they've got some other guys coming back. And we know how good their freshman class is. So I think that's the expectation for Alabama is just how do we – figure into being a top five team in the SEC. I think right now I'd put them in that group. Um, and, you know, that's probably means you're a top 25 team, at least in this SEC landscape. So I think Nate Oates has done a good job there. Um, like you mentioned, pretty outspoken last year about that particular team. But again, I always say it, um, chemistry is everything. And this era of college basketball, there are no guarantees on anybody. I don't care how good a player is. You put him in a spot, you don't always know how the chemistry is going to come together. And I think you could say this for a lot of teams, not just in the SEC, but elsewhere. And I think that's the battle Nate Oates faces, just like everyone else, is, all right, we put together a roster that looks really good on paper, but how do all the pieces come together? Are we going to be good enough defensively? Are we going to shoot the three well enough? Those are things that will have to be answered once they get on the court. But I think at least right now, looking at them, um, you know, I anticipate Alabama being a, a top five SEC teams for SEC team for for years to come, as long as he's there, just because he recruits well. Um, and I just think that you know that's kind of your expectation for Alabama now. And like last year, if you don't meet that expectation, uh, it feels like a bit of a disappointment. It has been said on this podcast before, but one thing I admire about their athletics is if they determine that it is a worthwhile goal they will be good at it and I think they looked around at the SEC and I they would never admit this but I think they looked at Auburn and what Bruce was doing and they thought yeah there's absolutely no reason why we can't be one of the best at this and you know historically they've been a top three four team in the league throughout a lot of the league's history so I would piggyback that broad statement off of this any comments about Alabama's continued commitment to doing things well as example by this new arena and I think you mentioned it but Oates ability to recruit is in part probably because he can sell Alabama but in part because there are moneyed interests that make sure that talent comes to Tuscaloosa yeah and I think that's you said it best like I think the resources part of it is it's such a big thing here because I, I know everyone wants to think that okay, we're in the SEC, we've got all this SEC money coming in, NIL, we should be able to do whatever we want, because again, we're flexing our muscles, we're in the SEC. But that's not the case everywhere. Um, and we've talked about some of those programs where it's not necessarily the case at. Um, you know, again, South Carolina and Alabama, completely different uh, when it comes to that right now. And so I think for, for Alabama, it is one of those programs that I think, or just schools in general, where you're going to have this commitment if you want to have it. And like you said, they're showing the commitment, whether it's the arena, um, whether it's other things. Like they have proven that they want to make that jump to being, and I'm going to say the same thing you did, and uh, you know, Alabama fans may not like it, but when you see what Auburn's doing and you see the success they've had, of course you're going to want to try to find a way to match that. And I think that was certainly one of the reasons why we've seen this program kind of make – you know, the jump it's made, uh, it made the right hire. And again, you never know with coaching hires, but it made the right hire in Nate Oates. And, and now we've seen that success come fairly quickly. And, and now knowing you have the resources you put into it, um, I think absolutely it's one where they are going to be in a position uh, to succeed. And I think they're one of those schools that is 
made it clear that, all right, whenever we were given the go-ahead to say, let's go all in on basketball, we decided to take, to say, okay, we are going to do that. And I think it's been pretty clear that, that they've made that decision and they're, they're pushing forward with it uh, full force. Are you in or out on Oates's fits? He, uh, you know, the college coaches have gone pretty casual anymore. And I'm, I'm actually very supportive of the casual look. I know some people like the tradition of the suits and Oates certainly seems to appreciate that line of thinking often. Yeah. I think, um, I'm with you. I, I like the, you know, here's what I'll say. I think the casual works well for some people, maybe not as well for others. Uh, you know, it's just, and it's not, it's like just the, the look part of it too, right? Like it was like, you look at that guy, you're like, all right, that guy, he's a suit guy. Like that guy all right, he's a casual guy. And I think for Oates, hey, man, he's making it work. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, we'll talk about Jerry Stackhouse, I'm sure. I mean, you talk about a guy that is embracing. You're never going to see Jerry Stackhouse with a casual um, approach. So uh, I'm all about sort of the fit there uh, for Nate Oates and uh, keeping, keeping it classic. It's like a classic feel, I think, for him. So Arkansas, Eric Musselman. Is Eric Musselman the newest member of an upper crust of coaches who you love if he runs your program and hate him if you have to deal with him. I would say that that's that's a good way to put it just because I think, as we've said, success kind of breeds that. Um, and I think that's probably the way you look at it because he has come in and, I mean, he has crashed the party since he's been there, right? I mean, we, we just talked about Nate Oates coming in, the success he's had, but... I mean, look at what Arkansas has done now. I mean, they have, I mean, look at what they've achieved since Eric Musselman has been there. And I think there's a really good chance that they're going to go into next season as a top five team in the preseason. And I know, you know, people are already putting out their lists and all this other stuff, but I think right now I'd have, I'd have a hard time finding, you know, more than four teams elsewhere that at least on paper look good enough to maybe challenge in Arkansas heading into next season. I know they'll be young, but their talent's there, and I think with, with Musselman, the thing is, if you're going to do that, he backs it up, right? And I think he, he's always been very confident in the the approach he's taken, the system um, that he implements, and he has every reason to be confident about it. <laughs> like you said, that maybe that rubs people the wrong way sometimes, but they're winning, and for, what, two straight years now, they've gotten the furthest of anyone in the NCAA tournament. They've been a win away in the Final Four. They beat the number one overall seed this past season in Gonzaga. Um, they've accomplished a lot of different things. And as I said earlier, I mean, for me, it's, it's Hammer Pearl in terms of the coach you're going to pick right now. If I had to pick one coach and said, all right, I need to put myself in a position, um, you know, to, to have the most success I could have, I would pick one of those two. And I think, again, there's, there's a reason why Mus has put himself in that category. Now, um, he may frustrate people outside of his program, but he's got the buy-in of those inside of his program. And you know what? That's all that matters. And, and he's shown that, and uh, yeah, they just keep on rolling. I was impressed with, obviously, the end result of their season, but what really was impressive was they go on that skid in SEC play to open the season, and then they really corrected things uh, after basically, yeah, their January 12th game against Missouri. They reel off a bunch of wins. Um, he's a great coach, and he is obviously able to Combine that with the most important thing, getting talent on campus. So outside of Walmart money, what has Musselman tapped into to revive Arkansas? Well, I think it's honestly just been, to me, it's it goes beyond Arkansas in that. Kind of what I said earlier about 
he was one of the very first ones, I think, to really understand the power of the transfer and understand how to work the transfer portal to pretty much perfection. I don't know how any other way you could put it. You know, everyone laughs on social media every time we see the tweets come out about, all right, well, this this kid has been, you know, communicated or contacted by so-and-so. Arkansas is on that list for everyone, like pretty much everyone. Arkansas is always on there, and and they've turned it into a science. Like he and his staff have turned the transfer portal into a science in terms of what does it hurt us to reach out and see if there's a fit there, no matter who this guy is. Um, yes, we, we may have 37 players on scholarship by this time next week, but we're going to find a way to make it work. And I just feel like that they are using every resource at their disposal like you said, whether it, you know, outside of just the NIL stuff, like they are, they are kind of figuring out a way to turn all of this into a science and it's working. Um, and, you know, we look at kind of what they've done just from recruiting freshman standpoint, those kind of guys. But I mean, the transfers are such a big part and we've seen that. I mean, look at what JD Note did for the program, right? Like he's a transfer, like all these guys you see have come in and had the success. And so I just think Muzz has pretty much made it clear that he is at the very top of coaches that have figured out a way to work the transfer portal to their advantage. And because of that, this is the new normal in college basketball. And because he's done that, I think it just puts him head and shoulders above a lot of different coaches out there to be able to kind of build things the way he wants it much quicker, uh, maybe than other programs can. George's hiring of Mike White seemed to be about raising the floor instead of aiming for titles. Please reinforce my beliefs or tell me why I am wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I, I think, um, and I think that's okay. Like, I think for Georgia, I said this when he was hired. If you're telling me that I could go out and hire someone who's been in the league, who had success at Florida, but maybe it wasn't the success that Florida wanted to have, I would take it any, you know, every day of the week. If you're a team that just came off of winning six games. And so I think, Actually, the fit works great. Do I think Mike White's going to be the head coach at Georgia a decade from now? Maybe not. But I think if he can at least get that program to where they're not what they were under Tom Crean, um, that's a step in the right direction, is it not? And I think sometimes, again, if your expectation, if you're a Georgia basketball fan, your expectation is for Mike White to come in and win you the SEC title within two years, then you need to probably rethink some things. Um, Because I don't think that's necessarily what you have to do to me, all of this is about maneuvering. In the SEC, what are the chances you're going to do maybe what we've seen? I'm trying to think of the best examples of that, right? Um, you know, certainly Auburn. It took Bruce Pearl a little bit of time to get them to where they are now. Um, you know, we saw Oates come in and have some pretty quick success, getting them to a championship fairly early. We talked about Musk, kind of similar situation. Uh, but for most others, like, you're not going to just make that jump from the bottom to the top. And so you kind of have to have that process in place to be able to gradually make those changes. I think Mike White, he recruited well at Florida. Um, you know, I just think it was one of those things where, look, sometimes it's about expectations and pressure. And I just think there was so much pressure on him. As the day he took that job, the pressure was unlike any other pressure, maybe outside of John Calipari at Kentucky, just because you knew what you had to follow. And now that I think, when you go to Georgia, guess how much pressure there is? And it's not a knock on Georgia, but there's not a whole lot. Um, when you're coming off of, you know, one of the worst seasons we've seen in the SEC in a long time, outside of Vanderbilt Street there recently. Um, so I just think that Mike White's actually a really good fit for Georgia. And he's had a – you talk about who's had some of the better off seasons. 
Georgia's had a pretty good offseason. Um, you know, if they get Cario Quindo back, they get some players back like Braylon Bridges, um, those kind of guys, they're bringing in some pretty talented players. I'm telling you right now, I'd be surprised if we're talking about Georgia as the worst team in the SEC next season. They could still be in the bottom four, but I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were, you know, last season. And at this point, that's all you can ask for is just to make some sort of progress because they were not making progress um, under the previous regime. And so now, I mean, if you're Georgia and you just come off of six wins, what did your coaching pool look like? How many people were just so excited to come to Georgia saying they just have one of the worst, you know, power conference team, you know, seasons in a long time? That list was not as long as some people wanted to think. So I think to get Mike White, I just think it was a really good hire. Again, I said it before, I think Mike White is a good coach. I just don't think the fit was right at Florida. The timing wasn't right. Um, but now, to me, it, to me, this is not about Mike White necessarily. To me, this is about Georgia. Um, and does Georgia want to commit the resources? I think they do. Because at the time, I'll be honest with you, and I know a lot of people after the fact, we love to do this. Um, everybody said, well, Tom Cream is going to be a terrible hire. No, he wasn't. If you go back and think about that at the time, you looked at where Georgia was, and you're like, all right, we're going from Mark Fox, who was kind of that guy that kept us right in the middle, and we wanted to try to make that jump. Well, if you looked at the pool of candidates at the time, Tom Green was very appealing, and it just didn't work out. I don't think that's going to be the case with Mike White. I think it's going to work out just fine. Um, and again, maybe that doesn't mean Georgia's going to be in the NCAA tournament every year. But my God, if they get there once every three years, if you're Georgia, my goodness, you will take that compared to where you've been. Speaking of Mike White and Gainesville, Todd Golden left the San Francisco Dons after taking them to the NCAA tournament this season. Some Auburn fans might know a bit about him as he worked for Pearl from 2014 to 2016. He takes over, obviously, that Florida program. We've mentioned it now a couple times. Uh, That Florida program has plenty of promise. Florida spent the last seven years kind of hoping to turn a proverbial corner It felt underwhelming just because of everything you've mentioned and what it was they had become accustomed to for a while with Donovan. Uh, Mike White is Georgia's problem or Georgia's, he'll he'll be there to make things better. All that said, what is your read on Golden coming back to the Southeast now as a head coach? You know, I, I know a lot of people love just in terms of just his analytical approach and those kind of things. I'm here to tell you that I don't, I, one way or the other for me, like that doesn't really, move the needle all that much, I guess, if that makes sense. And that's not, I know some people would take that the wrong way, but it's like, I think that's, that's good to have in this era is to kind of, you know, everybody's kind of looking at sort of the analytics and those kind of things, because do look at the success he had at San Francisco. I don't think that's something you can just ignore. Like he, he did a really good job there. And I think that's something where, because he has kind of embraced sort of maybe where college basketball is headed in terms of, like we said, looking at sort of just the the emphasis on analytics and those kind of things, um, that's great. But I also know that in the SEC, again, the state of the league to me is more important than anything. And I think now it's a, it is a matter of, okay, can you take what you've learned from that? Can you take that analytical approach? Can you take what you've learned from Bruce Pearl um, and all those things and be able to put it all together at a pretty young age, right? I mean, this is a guy who's still fairly young in his coaching career, um, you know, at what, 36? And can he turn that into getting Florida where Florida wants to be? And it goes back to the discussion we had a minute ago where for Golden, this is great because he's not the guy who had to follow Billy Donovan. He had to follow Mike White. 
and the Mike White tenure did not end how Florida fans wanted it to end. So now you've got a fresh face coming in, and what I said when he was hired, anybody can disagree if they want, but let's be honest. Florida was looking for the next Billy Donovan. I think maybe they thought they had that with Mike White, but it's sort of a very similar, not the exact same, when you're hiring someone like Todd Golden, a young guy, everyone loves him. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities there when it comes to kind of where Billy Donovan was at the time whenever he took over. Um, so I think that's where you look at this and feel like Todd Golden has a chance to have success, kind of knowing that he's got all the backing of Florida at this point. Like, he's got all the resources available. We talked about the NIL. It's not going to be necessarily where Florida football is right now or anything like that, but Florida's got a lot of possibilities when it comes to NIL. And I think one thing that I've kind of – Initially, I just kind of stood in the middle on this one because I didn't know. Because, again, that's a big jump, going from San Francisco, coming back to the South. Um, you know, you just kind of wonder, okay, what's the fit going to look like? But I think because of the offseason he's had, he's had a great offseason there in terms of the personnel-wise. Um, and so I think that gives me a lot of optimism about the success he can have. Now it's just a matter of putting it all together and knowing that you – I say this, I'm going to keep going back to the same names here, but knowing that – you're going up against John Calipari. You're going up against Bruce Pearl, Eric Musselman, uh, Rick Barnes, all these guys um, who have kind of just put that clutch on these, what, top four or five spots in the league now. Um, how do you break into that? And I think that's where we will find out pretty soon. Todd Golden plays a very, you know, appealing brand of basketball. Um, there's a lot of things that he's already doing well. I think he'll continue to do them well. Uh, but, again, the expectation for Florida is, I think hasn't changed. They still want to be where they were not long ago, and that was when the SEC was – Kentucky was one, Florida was 1A at times. Um, that's where I think they want to be, and can he get them there? Can he keep them in that part of the pack? I think there's a lot of things he could do well there. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, with all these hires, there are no guarantees, but I think if you're Florida, you were looking kind of what's the next step for us, who is a very appealing candidate. There's no doubt that the Todd Golden was one of the more appealing ones out there. So, LSU has a new coach. If you could set expectations for the fan base, given the hilarious exodus of talent, Blake, especially in an increasingly deeper league, where should those expectations be? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we talk about um, Matt McMahon and LSU. Of course, they faced Todd Golden's uh, San Francisco Dons in the first round of the tournament, and then both of them wind up being in the SEC at two fairly good jobs um and you know they wind up getting two i would say fairly good really good jobs uh both in florida and lsu as you said the roster has completely changed uh, pretty much um you know you're gonna get some guys coming back i think them getting i'll be honest with you the more i look at it i think matt mcmahon's probably had a he's had as good of an off season i think as any coach in the league and it's knowing where they were and i think you have to put that in context right um it's not to say that maybe he's going to bring in what an Arkansas is bringing in or something like that. But from a context standpoint, to lose everyone on your roster and bring in, what, three of your better players from Murray State, you bring back Adam Miller, who was going to be one of LSU's best players last year, if not for the torn ACL, um, and, and just getting a lot of talent in there now. I think that actually LSU, the expectation initially – I think it's to, to get back to the NCAA tournament. Like, I think right now they're a, they're a tournament team, probably, um, just looking at where they are. Now, we always say when guys transfer up, you're going from Murray State to LSU, how does that kind of come together? Well, I think Murray State was so good last year that we saw. I mean, that 
those talents, you know, whether it's it's Williams, Hill, um, Hannibal, all those guys, I mean, they were playing for a team that was, what, they're pretty much a top 25 team when you looked at what Murray State was able to accomplish. So um, I think that, actually, I think LSU could come out right away under Matt McMahon. And it's crazy to think because they did pretty much lose everyone on their roster. I think they could come out right away and have a, have a lot of success. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm going to put them, you know, in that top five or anything, but would I be surprised if they're a team we're talking about that maybe gets to that point? Not at all. Um, I think Matt McMahon, knowing what he's stepping into, here's the thing. Um, whatever happens with the sanctions, um, Matt McMahon's got a pretty good contract there, and I think that's the only thing probably holding LSU back at this point is to know that there is still that thing looming to where they could get hammered by all this uh, as a program. And if that happens, then all bets are off. But I think right now they're way higher than I would have thought I would put them probably, you know, a month and a half ago. So the man that helped bring about all the uncertainty around the LSU program now, well, he is named Will Wade. Uh, This is a pro Will Wade podcast. We support him or certainly I do. Why is Will Wade being treated in a very nasty and unfair way, Blake? Um... I mean, I, I think it's I think it's sometimes how you handle things. Um, and let, let's be honest. I mean, I think the way this all came about, um, he was he was the one, I guess if you're talking about from an SEC standpoint, he was the one who was the most, he was the face of it all, right? Like, I think that's the best way to put it. Like, he... Getting caught on a recorder is a tough look. And I think that's the issue is we actually saw and heard the things that we saw and heard. And I think that's where you will have a lot of people, again, outside of LSU, because a lot of LSU fans, listen, they they were defending him. And um, I I think the entire thing, and this is, I don't want to go down a a rabbit hole here, but I've said from the start the absurdity of this entire thing from the beginning. you know, and kind of the the FBI involvement, and the NCAA's handling, and just everything has just been a, it's been a circus. Um, I just think that that's it. To me, it's it's one of those things where I think it's easy to sort of look at this from the outside and just basically just hammer away. You know, like he's a just kind of someone that's just out there just alone, right, in all of this. But I think, as we all know, um, he was not alone in all of this. Um, but it just it happened to be in the most public fashion you could sort of have in this scenario. So I think that's probably why. Um, and, you know, again, I I think this whole thing was just a complete mess from start to finish. And, and we're not even to the finish, right? Like, we still got a long way to go. Uh, but Will Wade, great basketball coach in my opinion. Um, but I think, again, you just kind of look at the way this whole thing played out and, in my opinion, in no way at all was I surprised that things got to where they got to and, um, you know, he was out as their coach. And that is why if you were Bruce Pearl, I know you would make William Wade the assistant or at least co-recruiting coordinator with Auburn God, Mike Burgermaster. Uh, We really do need to see Will Wade working in tandem with our guy, my guy, Mike Burgermaster. It would be perfect. Kentucky, let's go to them quickly. I'll give you the floor. Take it wherever you want. Uh, must all good things come to an end, or are the reports of Calipari's demise greatly exaggerated? Yeah, I mean, uh, here's, again, this is a bigger discussion, but to me, the NCAA tournament, it's just, it is, it's always one of those things where we always say matchups, all that stuff matters. 
the tournament year in and year out, the reason we love it is because of the reason why Kentucky got beat in the first round last year is because there there is such a layer of unpredictability to it. Um, but what Calipari has done over a 35 to whatever, 38-game season, year in and year out, minus you know that slip-up, whatever, two years ago now, I mean, ask anybody, right? Like, you'll take that. So, but it's Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky's expectations are to be where Kansas was, to win a national championship, to North Carolina getting there, um, you know, to see some of these other programs that, that have accomplished what they've accomplished. This is what Kentucky wants to accomplish. And I've said in this era, it is not realistic anymore to believe that you are going to win the national championship every single season. But it's perfectly fine to expect to win the national championship every single season. And I know that sounds contradictory, but I think you understand what I mean by that. And that it's fine for your expectations to be what they are because of the tradition and everything surrounding the program. But I also think you have to be realistic in knowing that you're not going to pull off the John Wooden era UCLA run um, to where you're going to win the championship every single year. And slip-ups are going to happen like they happen against St. Peter's. Um, and those kind of things. So if you're asking me, will I take the success of what John Calipari has done at Kentucky? Absolutely. But I'm also not a Kentucky fan who's looking around and seeing the emergence of Auburn, of Alabama, of Arkansas, and all these other programs that are seemingly kind of sneaking up now, not so sneaking anymore, I guess, um, and kind of holding on, as I said earlier, to some of these top spots to where it's not a guarantee that Kentucky is going to be the number one team in the league anymore every single season. But my question is always the same. If you're in the situation that Kentucky is in, all the upset people uh, after that that loss to St. Peter's, which, let's be honest, there's no reason it should have happened. Uh, but my question is, okay, if this is what you want, who's, who's, the, who's the replacement? Who's the guy to get you there, right? Because... That is always the thing to me. And John Calipari is never going to have any problem getting talent, ever. Uh, NIL, never going to be a problem at Kentucky. It's just a matter of, again, it's, you're willing to take that risk, I guess, if you're Kentucky, uh, if you're a fan saying, all right, well, if they don't have a good year this year, maybe let's just let's push Cal off to the NBA. But you better make sure that whoever you think is going to come in and, and be better than John Calipari year in and year out, um, you better make sure you got the right guy there because I still think that he's a good coach, but I think there are he is open to criticism, and I think he rightfully so should be criticized sometimes for some for where this program um, is at in some of these big spots, and again the the lack of NCAA tournament success. Uh, but it's the same it's the same scenario. Kentucky's going to come in the next season as one of the highest ranked teams in the SEC, if not the favorite to win the SEC, and they they could go thirty and two, but when we get back to the NCAA tournament, conversation is going to be the same. They have to get to the Final Four. They have to win it all. And if they don't, we're going to be right back here having the same discussion. It is an interesting balance whenever you think about making a move at a school like that because the resources are there. So any coach is going to be stepping into a great situation. But you've seen Calipari do this now for a long time, at least in terms of recruiting at a super high level. And if that's what we're going to say is the most important thing, getting talent on campus, fewer better at this than him. Of course, it is aided by the fact that he's at the school he's at, but we saw him do this at Memphis too. So he is undoubtedly good at accumulating talent. I am kind of curious to see if with the other schools, as you say, on his heels, if there's 
going to be some sort of desire to see a change simply not because it's the most necessary thing to do, but because fans simply get tired of the same thing. It, it, It may be rash. The administration at Kentucky may have no strong desire to do that until Calipari signals he wants to leave, but it it just feels like that conversation keeps happening. I don't know if it's completely manufactured or if there is a sense of maybe it'd be good to get some, some, you know, new blood in. I, that to me is going to be one of the more curious moves because I, I can convince myself it should be no problem for them to reload, to go out and make an easy hire and just keep it rolling. But we see this often at programs like, you know, if we want to use Texas as an example of this program that has sort of floundered now for a decade, and seemingly it should be a very easy transition from coach to coach. Uh, Enough on that. Tennessee is talented again. They had five departures. They do return lots of experience, uh, especially in the backcourt. Barnes has continued to recruit well. He seems to love being a top 32 team, which is to say that, you know, they lose, I think too early in the tournament too often, at what month, though, will the stories begin to be written about Tennessee's uh, unmatched strength? Because it happens often, and I think you could be looking at a Tennessee program where this team has a lot of flowery things said about it in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of similarities in the discussion we just had about Calipari uh, with Barnes, and it's, it's different, uh, I think, to a certain extent, because... I think right now, you know, you could make the case that these are going to be two of the three best teams in the SEC heading into next season with Arkansas in there too, in my opinion. Um, but it's, but we've seen this before, right? Like Tennessee can go out and win the regular season in the SEC. Kentucky can go out and win the regular season in the SEC. But all the discussion is going to be on what they do after that. And I think that's where you've got, and that's a good thing though, I think, honestly. When you think about it, would you rather have that discussion or would you not want to have that discussion? because you didn't have the success you had in the regular season. Because I, I think that's where Tennessee's at now under Rick Barnes. They're going to win a lot of games. I would be surprised if they don't. Um, you know, this is a 25-plus win team probably next season. But it's can you make that push to get beyond the first weekend in the tournament? And if you don't, we're going to have the same discussion we've been having. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, and, and and let's be honest, too. With Rick Barnes, um, he was not shy or... As recent as what two years ago, when the UCLA job came open, um, that I think that was something too that probably Tennessee fans didn't love. But as long as Rick Barnes is your coach, you're going to probably win a lot of games, and you're going to be a, a higher seed in the NCAA tournament, and you're going to at least put yourself in a position to get to the second weekend or beyond the NCAA tournament. Can they actually do it? That is the question, and I think that's where we are now. With and that's why I answered the question earlier the way I did. If you're talking about restless kind of fan bases, restless administration, I think it's probably more so on the fan base standpoint than the administration standpoint. Uh, but these are the expectations now at Kentucky and Tennessee. Always have been in Kentucky. Tennessee, for the most part, we know that's kind of been the case ever since Bruce Pearl kind of turned things around there. Um, this is what you want. And Rick Barnes will win a lot of games again, but it's just, I mean, it's, it's going to all be about the tournament. And I think Tennessee fans now are to the point to where some of them probably will go throughout this regular season and you'll enjoy the success, but at the same time, in the back of your mind, it's going to be there. Great. We're having a lot of success now. Can we have it in March? If we can't, are we just going to do this whole thing all over again? And and that's that, honestly, Painter, like that's that line that where these 
you know, administrators are getting paid the money they're getting paid is how do we figure out when it's time to cross that line? Uh, because we know how quickly things can go in the wrong direction. If you make a move like that and you make the wrong hire, I want to use Vanderbilt as an example here, and I have nothing against Bryce True, but we saw a program completely bottom out whenever, you know, you, you make a move and things just do not go the way you want it to go. And I, again, I'm not throwing all that on Bryce True because I think there were a lot of other circumstances surrounding that, injuries and other things, resources um, that led to that. But, I mean, Vanderbilt is still trying to fight their way back just to, to get into the discussion uh, to where even being trying to be a top-half team in the SEC. And that's where I think if your program's like this, and I'm not saying that Kentucky or Tennessee is going to fall off they make a coaching change, but that line is so thin now, knowing how much more competitive the league has gotten to where sometimes you, you're going to be frustrated if you don't meet the tournament success you want to have. But, man... I think you have to understand, though, that it is the tournament and strange things can happen in a tournament setting. But sometimes it's like, all right, maybe I just need to take my 27 wins in the regular season. And if I I have a frustrating postseason, all right, but at least I got 27 wins in there somewhere versus being a team that's maybe borderline in the tournament, not even getting in the tournament. So, I mean, it's it's the same conversation we've had, and you can tie this into everything we've talked about. Why were there six coaching changes in the SEC? It's because everyone wants to be what we've seen Auburn become, what we've seen Alabama become, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky's always been there. Um, You know, we want to see these teams that have all of a sudden transformed themselves from being near the bottom of the pack to winning a regular season title, uh, to having the success they've had. And I think for Tennessee, that's something to always think about because, you know, you could be back near the bottom. Uh, or you can kind of know that Rick Barnes is going to put you in a position to at least be a top 25 team year in and year out. And there are going to be some frustrating times in there from a tournament standpoint, but where's, are you willing to take that risk in knowing that all of that could be thrown away? And uh, it's just, that's, that to me is always the tough discussion with this. Rapid fire. We'll go quick. Is Buzz Williams close? Yes, I think that um, I think he is. I think he's kind of. I think he's got the program heading in the right direction, um, but it's again, it's it's the nature of the transfers. I think that's the thing is, can they keep their guys year in and year out? He's a he's a coach that demands a lot of his players, not unlike a lot of our the guys in the league. But um, I think he's close to at least getting them to where they are a tournament team regularly. Has Kermit Davis jumped the shark? I just think that for Kermit Davis, this is one of those situations where last season it was all about injuries. Like, I mean, think about all the injuries they had last year. I think that was kind of the frustration point, knowing that you really, I don't want to say you couldn't afford to have that kind of season, but you you kind of expected to have a not a great season. Um, You know, they weren't picked near the top or anything, but I just think they're, they put themselves in a spot to where, you know, I think it's a it's going to be a big season for him. I'll put it that way. I think it's probably one of those where they need to have some success, um, but they've just they've ran into a lot of injury issues, and I think they they really need to find a way to win some games this upcoming season. Does South Carolina have a plan? What is it? <laughs> uh, hope for the best. Um, I do. I, I like Lamont Paris. I think actually he's going to do a 
he'll do a fine job, but you could still do a fine job, I think, and still be a team that's in the play and, you know, Wednesday night playing game in the SEC tournament first consecutive seasons. Uh, so I just think I said might be uh, less about the person yeah, and more about the program I, for there, them there right you now. Go. That's to me is the thing. I think it's more about the program, less about the coach. All right, we'll go quick on Auburn. I'm setting expectations for Auburn as a top three team in league play, right, wrong, or indifferent. With plenty of time before the season starts, Blake, where would you put Bruce and the boys? I think I think I would put them slightly behind that top three I mentioned earlier. Um, what order I changed my mind on Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, but I, I think Auburn's right there. Um, maybe at four, I think I would put Auburn ahead of Alabama right now, I think in my opinion. Um, and I think that's probably the top five for me. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, look, the expectations are top 25 team. Um, you know, how, again, I know I keep saying this, but it's how do some of the new pieces combine together with the returning pieces? Um, you know, John Broom, I think he's a really good player. He can't teach six ten. I always say that. Um, you know, we know that the young guys are coming in. Troy, I think is going to be really good. Again, can't teach six ten. Um, and then I think it's really just a matter of some of these guys that are coming back. You know, Alan Flanagan, can he get back to where we know he can be consistently? Um, and you know, you're, you know what your backcourt's going to look like with those guys returning who have a lot of experience now. Um, so I think there's a lot of upside with Auburn. It's just how do you compare an Auburn team without Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler to, you know, to a team with it? And I think that's the hard thing to do right now is – you can look at all these guys that are coming in and feel really good about their potential, but you do also know, too, that Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler were two very unique players in terms of their skill set, and for Bruce Pearl, which I think he's always done a really good job of, it's just adjusting and kind of putting a new sort of, not putting a new system in place, but you're kind of adjusting to a new style because you are it's going to be a different team, uh, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of the personnel. It's just can the newcomers, you know, whether it's Broom, whether it's Traore, those kind of guys, can they be Jabari Smith and Walker Kester? I don't think you want to put those expectations on them, but um, you also know that returning players should be better. And that's what I always say, Painter, and I've told you this before. I think Bruce Pearl has never probably gotten enough credit for just every guy it seems like that plays for him gets better. And I just, you know, sure, you can point out some examples of maybe that not being the case, but more often than not, the guys who step on the floor are going to be put in a position to succeed. Whether they do succeed or not, sometimes it's up to them. Um, sometimes it's just a chemistry thing. doesn't work out. But I think that's what you can kind of count on with this team. And, yeah, I think they're – as of right now for me, they're, they're a top-four team in the league. Did you ever roll your eyes at Auburn's offense? Sure. Um, because I think, you know, it was pretty clear last year that this was a team that did not shoot the three well, but yet they, you know, decided to take some. And – I'm not saying you can't take any, but there were times where I think – and that, that I think can be a double-edged sword, and I've said that before too with Bruce Pearl, is if you're a guard in Bruce Pearl's system, guess what you know you're going to have? There's one word. It starts with an F. No, it's not the four-letter word. Um, it's hmm. it's freedom, right? Like it's – you're going to have freedom, and I think that's what you know that you have. But, again, there can be positives and negatives with that, um, depending on who the player is and, and how they're performing. Uh, so – it can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, but yes, there there's undoubtedly frustration at times, and and we'll see what this team looks like offensively. Because again, you're taking out two big pieces, 
uh, from how they ran their offense, but you've also got some guys replacing them. And you'll have some guys that just naturally are better offensive players than they were a year ago. I'm very curious to see kind of how they decide to approach that uh, from an offensive standpoint. Feel free to take us wherever you want to go. Fill in the gaps, any interesting tidbits, maybe something I failed to bring up. And then, of course, plug away. There will be someone that I think crashes the party. I don't know who it's going to be. As I mentioned, maybe it's Dennis Gates, maybe it's Matt McMahon, LSU. I think one of these these teams that have a new coach in place will make that surprising jump maybe that we didn't expect. And I'm curious to see who that is. But otherwise, I think you're probably looking at four, maybe five, you know, Sweet 16 or beyond type teams in the SEC, at least at this point. Um, so that should be pretty fun. Uh, to see how it plays out. But, yeah, man, uh, like you said, southeastern14.com. Check out all our basketball stuff there. We've got our YouTube channel. Um, you know, quite a few subscribers on that now. So um, you can check that out. Regular videos uh, going up. We'll get back to doing a lot of basketball stuff this offseason. Um, and, yeah, if you have to see baseball, football, all that stuff as well, southeastern14.com. Blake, we appreciate it. Thanks for giving us some time over the holiday weekend. I hope wherever it is you are, you are enjoying some time with family, maybe at the pool, maybe uh, – at the golf course. I don't know what you do on these on these weekends, but I hope it's relaxing. Get some rest, and we do appreciate it. I'm sure we'll touch base with you soon. Sounds great, Painter. Thanks, man. Can't relax. I can't sleep cause my bed's on